You're listening to To Dine for the Podcast, the Shot Put Media production, presented by MasterCard. Start something priceless. What's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. To Dine for the Podcast is brought to you by Terlato Wine Group. American National Insurance, and Spiritless. As the weather turns colder and you're looking for a truly delicious glass of red, I have an idea for you. Chimney Rock. Most everyone knows Napa makes world-class wine, but not everyone knows that within the Napa Valley lies a very small but very special subregion called Stag's Leap District. It's home to Chimney Rock Winery. This winery specializes in Cabernet that is truly delicious. The wine is filled with beautiful layers of complexity and finishes with a velvety texture that Chimney Rock is known for. This is a wonderful option for gift-giving and a perfect option to bring to a special dinner party. Cheers, everyone. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, Visit AmericanNational.com slash dine. If you listen to this podcast, you know I love a great founder story. That's why I love the story of Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. Three young women from Louisville, Kentucky, who had the idea for a healthier bourbon. Healthier in the sense it has no alcohol. So you can have an evening cocktail with no guilt and almost no calories. It is so delicious. I love to squeeze an orange slice, a couple of dashes of bitters, shake it with ice, and then strain it into a beautiful glass and just kick back. If you'd like to try a bottle of Spiritless, you can use promo code to dine for to get free shipping. Welcome to To Dine For The Podcast, where we meet the world's most creative and innovative minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is Blake Rockwell. You know, going into this, I knew that we could create some smiles and laughter for the kids and their families and give them an opportunity to go out as a family away from the hospital. That means the world to them. Blake Rockwell is the founder of Special Spectators, a completely volunteer-run nonprofit profoundly impacting the lives of seriously ill children and their families by creating memorable VIP all-access game day experiences at sporting events. Since 2002, they have hosted more than 10,000 patients, parents, and siblings in nearly 500 games, mostly college football. In collaboration with 40 programs, including Alabama, Florida, Michigan, Northwestern, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Penn State, Tennessee, and Texas, 
Special Spectators creates inspiring and memorable game days for kids battling cancer, major cardiac conditions, organ transplants, and other life-threatening illnesses. They host the ultimate Saturday experience, including exclusive hospitality areas visited by student-athletes, cheerleaders, mascots, and marching bands, special locker room hours, meeting coaches, meeting players, and a moving stadium announcement. Imagine a small group of seriously ill kids standing on a field in front of more than 100,000 fans receiving one of the loudest standing ovations of their lives. I can't wait to hear more about special spectators from Blake Rockwell. Hi, Blake. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Excellent. Thanks so much for joining me this morning. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate you being on To Dime for the podcast so much, and I cannot wait to hear about special spectators. But I always start the conversation by talking about food because I feel like it's the great common denominator and it really helps to tell people's story. You lived in Chicago. You're in Detroit now. I'm wondering if you were going to take me to your favorite restaurant, where would that be? Oh, wow. In Chicago, I had so many great places that I love to go. Unfortunately, some of them are no longer in business, but like Shaw's Crab House downtown, I just loved Heaven on Seven, I just loved. I know that they've had some trouble, and I I don't think they're open any longer. Here in Detroit, we've just been exploring. I haven't lived here in 30 years. I grew up in Michigan, but I split my adult life between Chicago and New York City. So I just returned to Michigan after 30 years, and the restaurant scene here is fabulous. A lot of people who kind of like me had kind of gotten their chops somewhere else you know, around the country, around the world and returned back to the Midwest or Detroit or Michigan and, and open restaurants here. But Marrow is an unbelievable restaurant here in Detroit. What kind of food is Marrow? It's just kind of a, a new, a new flair on, you know, the good old American traditional dishes, I would say. That's how I would describe it. It's a, it's actually a, a butcher shop during the day. And then transforms into this fabulous restaurant, one of the city's best restaurants at night. It's really fantastic. So is is it is it like elevated American classics? Yeah, yeah. With with some with a comfort twist to it. I I would. That's how I would describe it. I don't know if that's how they would describe it. That's how I would describe it. (laughs) What's it like to be back in Detroit after so many years? And and what is the experience like for you personally to be back? It's great for. For me to be back, my wife's from the Midwest. My wife primarily grew up in Akron, Ohio, so she's from the Midwest as well. She just loves being here, mm-hmm. and that's a huge relief to me because mm-hmm. I felt like I felt a little bit like the pressure was on me to uh, make sure our transition from New York to Detroit went as smoothly as it could, given everything that was going on in our life at that time. But she just really loves it. We, we live in a historic neighborhood of Detroit. We just love where we live. We love our neighbors. It's a very social neighborhood as well. We have we have our own association, and that association has about eighteen official social events uh, every wow. year. Yeah, and that's that's kind of that's obviously during COVID that's died down a little bit. We we have a lot of musicians in our neighborhood. Obviously, Detroit is is well known for Motown and and a lot of great musicians around here. And we have something that is more open to the public and we sell tickets for and it's called music and homes and just fabulous musicians performing 
isn't there something so magical about loving where you live? Yep. And it sounds like your wife has sort of come home and like to be, that is a, that's a specific emotion that not everyone gets to feel in their lifetime. And it must feel really good for her and for you. Yeah. So my question is, you know, how did you even think to start Special Spectators? Because it sounds like an amazing organization. Well, thank you. It, there's kind of a few layers to the story, so bear with me. As I said, I moved to Chicago right out of college. I had an older brother who was born with a congenital heart defect, and he passed away about eight months before I was born. He was mm -hmm. 10 and a half years old. He died during a second open heart surgery. Mm -hmm. Grew up mostly in Grand Rapids, Michigan, about three hours away from Chicago. And, and that's where my brother was treated most of his life at the old Children's Memorial Hospital in Lincoln Park. And when I moved to Chicago, I became a volunteer at Children's Memorial Hospital. And I played sports my entire life, huge sports fan. And I was kind of surprised to meet all of these patients at Children's Memorial, now uh, Lurie Children's Hospital, who were also huge sports fans. But even what surprised me even more was that very few of them had ever been to any type of game in their life. I mean, wow. basically their only exposure to sports was what they watched on television or through video games. And I just thought, well, that's easy. That's an easy no brainer to, to fix. Let's not just take kids to games. Let's make them a part of the game. Mm. You were volunteering in college, is that when you started the volunteer? It was after I graduated from college and okay. I moved to Chicago. So, you know, I was in my early to mid mid twenties primarily. So what what prompted you? Because you were a young man in the city, you have a lot to do, you're working on your career. What yeah. was so important to you that you had to volunteer at the same type of hospital that your brother would have had treatment? Well, the fact that my brother died about eight months before I was born, I come from a very, very close-knit family. I'm the youngest of five kids. All of my siblings are much older than I am. My, my sister is 16 and a half years older than, than me. My oldest brother is 15 years older than me. The closest sibling I have to me in, in age is eight years older. So we're very, very close. And I always felt like having a brother but never having known my brother volunteering at the hospital where he was treated most of his life was a way for me to feel closer to my brother. Oh, wow. That I never knew. Yeah. So. And did you feel, did that experience make you feel closer to him? Yes, definitely. My parents would visit me in Chicago. And one of the places where I lived was pretty close to the hospital. I was probably less than a half a mile away from the hospital. And if I was out doing Saturday errands, getting the car washed, going to the grocery store or whatever, my dad would always ask to come along. And, and my dad is a guy's guy. You know, my dad was in the military for 40 years. He's just, you know, a guy's guy. He would always ask if he could come along. And the minute we get in the car, he just kind of tapped me on the knee. He said, can we drive by the hospital? Oh. And we would do this. And my dad would immediately just start crying. Oh, you know, wow. this was 40 years after my, my brother passed away. So obviously it, it was a hole, you know, in my parents that never completely healed. So, you know, that was that the hospital meant a great deal to my, to my family. And your father had spent so many days and so many weeks going there that he probably yeah. felt such a connection. Like that was home for your brother in a way, a home away from home. 
Yeah, definitely. So not just for me, the, the reason I bring that story up is not only for me, but for others in my family, it was just a way to kind of feel, you know, closer to him. Obviously they knew him. I did not. So I, I guess it was a little bit more key or vital for me to, to kind of feel that closeness to him by doing that. When you have the idea to create special spectators that would immerse really sick kids in this incredible game day experience. Yeah. What was the first school that said yes? How did you begin <laughs> creating this? Because it's a fantastic idea. Yeah, thank you. So I, I kind of sat on this idea for a few years. I eventually moved from Chicago to New York City. In my previous life, I worked in the investment world and I had colleagues who passed away who were killed in, in 9-11 attacks in New York mm -hmm. City. About two weeks after that, I had a friend in Chicago who passed away at the age of 32, 33. She died of lung cancer. She wasn't a smoker. The combination of those two events in my life made me say to myself, you know, what in the world am I doing? You know, mm -hmm. what, what am I doing with my life? And then went back to those years of volunteering at Children's Memorial and said, oh yeah, there's that idea. Let's, let's see what we can do with that. So I reached out to the NCAA. I wrote a letter to the executive director at that time, who was Cedric Dempsey. And ironically or coincidentally, he graduated from the same small, tiny liberal arts college in Michigan that I went to. Which is? Albion College. Amazing. Go Brits. <laughs> and um, I wrote him this idea that I had and how I envisioned it manifesting itself and what would happen and all of that. And he said, yeah, this, this is a great idea, but here's the only thing we can't force our member institutions to do something like this. I suggest you reach out to all of the conference commissioners. Mm. So I did that, wrote letters, solved them. And I basically got the same response from them as well. So at that time, back in 2002, when I got this rolling, there were 117 Division I FBS level schools out there. And I wrote to all 117 of them Wow! with this idea. And I thought, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to have 117 <laughs> schools participating in this in the first year. And I had two. We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsors. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you're like me, there are times when you want to feel like you're having a fancy cocktail, but you don't actually want the alcohol. So I love Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. It's a distilled, non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails, but with just 15 calories per serving and none of the guilt. You can pre-order your bottle today at spiritless.com. 
Use the promo code to dine for to get free shipping. To dine for the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. As the weather turns colder and you're looking for a truly delicious glass of red, I have an idea for you. Chimney Rock. Most everyone knows Napa makes world-class wine, but not everyone knows that within the Napa Valley lies a very small but very special subregion called Stag's Leap District. It's home to Chimney Rock Winery. This winery specializes in Cabernet that is truly delicious. The wine is filled with beautiful layers of complexity and finishes with a velvety texture that Chimney Rock is known for. This is a wonderful option for gift-giving and a perfect option to bring to a special dinner party. Cheers, everyone. Now back to our conversation. And I thought, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to have 117 <laughs> schools participating in this in the first year. And I had two. Really? Central Florida and Arizona were the first ones to do it. Those were your um, first ones that said, hey, this is a great idea. Isn't it true? Yeah. Because I always feel like this this podcast, which tells the story of people who've created things, regardless whether they're nonprofit or for-profit, yeah. it, it's a similar through line. And the similar through line is that it takes a heck of a lot of work and you have got to be ready for the rejection because it's coming. Yep. Even if yep. you have such a beautiful, pure idea like you had, right? You're thinking yeah. this is a no-brainer. Who wouldn't say yes to this, right? Right, well, right. And so- over the years, we just eventually got more and more schools to come on board. I think some of them felt a comfort in numbers. Yes. You know, in those early years, we definitely shared, you know, the story of game day at whatever school to all of these schools, just so that they got a better idea of not only what the game day experience looked like, but also the impact on not just the families, but the student athletes and the coaches as well. So now we're up to over 40 schools and we've got some big, big names involved. Alabama, you know, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Tennessee, Oklahoma, Texas, Florida. And what would you say is the difference maker for getting a yes from the school? Is it having a direct connection in? Is it writing a really compelling letter? You know, is it knowing the right person? Who, who's the person who can say yes to something like this? Yeah. So yes to all the above. I mean, it, it really varies. Our entry point into a new school is one of three ways. It's either through the football office. So maybe a coach has spoken to another coach or maybe a coach has moved on to a whole other school, which is the case with some of our partners right now. Sometimes we get in just with the athletic department. Maybe it's the, the marketing people within an athletic department or community relations kind of similar position within the athletic department. Or possibly it's through what's referred to as the multimedia rights holder at that school. And that's the, the company that's responsible for kind of 
selling all the advertising in the different sports venues. They do the radio production of the games, you know, sell advertising and promotion in in a number of other ways. So it it really is, you know, obviously it's the tickets, right, that they're donating. But other than that, it's really about coordination and wanting to do it because it doesn't really cost a lot. Am I correct? That's correct. It doesn't. And not every athletic department is the same. You know, some have more resources available to them than others. We completely understand that. Obviously, some schools have absolutely no problem selling out their football stadiums every Saturday. Others have, you know, it's, it's much easier for them to have tickets available to them. And, and by the way, our events range anywhere from like 10 up to 75 people with our average game day experience being somewhere around 25 to 30 people. So depending on the size of families, because we do like to get each member of the family involved in this as much as we possibly can. You know, you're talking somewhere around five to seven families on average for each game day experience. Explain it. Take me through a, a bright, sunny Saturday fall morning. What what yeah. happens to the child? What happens to their family? We plan with the help of our collegiate partners. We plan everything. All the families really have to do is wake up in the morning, get the kids dressed, teeth brushed, hair brushed, get them in the car. And then we provide you know directions to the stadium. We've coordinated parking for them once the, once they arrive. They arrive pretty early, sometimes three, three and a half hours before kickoff. Our volunteers, and we have 200 incredible volunteers all over the country who really are, are boots on the ground and executing the whole game day itinerary, the blueprint of the day for special spectators. So once families arrive, we have a huge exclusive hospitality area just for them that's usually you know adjacent to the stadium we put on a very kid-friendly g-rated tailgate Mm -hmm. now i heard some stories about you at notre dame with some of your (laughs) tailgate experiences so it's nothing like that it's nothing like that at all but just kid-friendly hospitality area where we feed them get refreshments treats, all sorts of things. Plus we have special guests who will visit that hospitality area as well. It might be the cheerleaders, the mascot. In some cases we get a portion, good portion of the marching band to come and perform for the, for the families, get them all, you know, geared up for the game. We often get them into the locker room before the game, before the guys have even arrived, they get to try on their favorite players equipment, you know, slip their tiny little foot in a size 22 cleat, <laughs> all of that kind of fun stuff. And then we'll usher them out of the out of the locker room before the team arrives. Usually as the guys are coming in and, you know, kids will be able to exchange high fives with the players as they file into the locker room, meet the coaches, take pictures, all that kind of fun stuff. And it's usually back to the hospitality area where we eat. And then about an hour to maybe 45 minutes before kick, we start making our way into the stadium. Kids watch the guys warm up from the sidelines. Some of our kiddos are the honorary captains for the game that they're attending. So they'll participate in the coin toss oh, with the actual cool. team captains. That's so cool. We often get the kids on the field during a, an early media timeout where mm-hmm. we introduce the kids to the crowd. So they give these unbelievably brave and inspiring youngsters the loudest standing ovation of the game. That's amazing. And, and by the way, like I said, we were last fall, we were in six of the 10 largest stadiums. So all of them over a hundred thousand people. So just kind of imagine that picture that if you will, 
four or five, six little kiddos in standing at the 50 yard line, just receiving the loudest standing ovation of the game. And what is it like for you personally, having conceived the idea, having worked, having written all those letters, having really yeah. you know, pounded the pavement to make this happen, you know, with the memory of your brother that you never got to meet and you see a child who may or may not make it in this once in a lifetime experience, what is it like for you? Well, it's, it, it means the world for me in so many different ways. It means the world for me that to have this idea and, and for people to sign on and say, yes, let's do this. Let's we're on board. Let's team together, make that happen. I mean, that alone means the world to me, but then to see the impact on the kids and the families and, you know, going into this, I knew that we could create, Hey, you know, if, if we could create some smiles and laughter for the kids and their families and give them an opportunity to go out as a family away from the hospital, take their mind off of everything. I have knew a normal day. Do. Right. And, and that's, that's the big word. That's what we hear from families. They just, they appreciate having normalcy return to their lives yes. just by going to a college football game. That means the world to them. But and I'm not the I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. So a, a lot of volunteers have had to kind of bring this to to my attention or make me aware of this. But the the benefit or the impact me it happens in so many other ways. For instance, kids who are really going through a serious life threatening illness, whether it be cancer or some major cardiac condition, awaiting an organ transplant, sickle cell, cystic fibrosis, what have you. As long as it's a child who is dealing with a serious life-threatening illness, and this is basically all they know, or maybe they were diagnosed at some point in their life with this, and they can compare what family life is post-diagnosis versus pre-diagnosis, Yes, and know that their medical condition is impacting the family the way that it is. Right. You know, maybe, maybe they see mom and dad short with each other in ways that they had never witnessed prior to the diagnosis. Maybe they see mom and dad, they, they sneak out maybe in the dining room and see mom and dad late at night, just wrestling with a pile of, you know, insurance statements and hospital bills and all that stuff, something they had never witnessed them having to do before, or, you know, their siblings not able to take part in some of the extracurricular stuff that they did they're, they're so wise beyond their years. They know that their illness has an impact on the family that they feel guilty about. Yeah. And when we're able to take a child like that to a game and you see the weight of that guilt on their shoulders, I'm not trying to be, you know, overly dramatic about this. You, you actually see it and you see it in the way that maybe the child that, you know, doesn't smile very much, has a hard time making eye contact what have you. But then over the course of a seven, seven and a half hour game day experience, that weight being released from their shoulders where they are standing up straighter, literally standing up taller, straighter, smile on their face, laughing, having a fantastic time, not only because they're having a great time, but they see their family having a fantastic time. Yes. It is it, it's something that goes above and beyond of what I could have anticipated or planned for. It's not unusual to hear parents talk about their child smiling for the first time since their diagnosis. But when you hear a child, like a small child, like in early grade school saying the same comment about their own parents, you're like, holy smokes. Yeah. 
And you think about, you know, your career in finance and you think about being in New York City on 9-11 and rethinking and retooling your path. Yeah. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you were searching for a deeper meaning to what you were doing and you were looking for a way to really contribute and have impact. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think I had a, a pretty good career and, I, you know, I had made a lot of friends and, you know, got a lot of thank yous from colleagues who I worked with and all of that. Maybe, maybe thank you from a, a client or something along those lines, but I never had a big burly guy, big burly dad just grab me and give me the biggest hug with tears in his eyes saying, thank you. And just that alone, that's something I'll never forget in my life, you know, having that type of impact. So when you created Special Spectators, was this something you did as a side hustle? Yeah. Okay. So you were constant. you were, you had your full-time finance job. And then this was sort of like a pet project you had that obviously developed into something much larger, but you kept both going at the same time and still do. Well, so my investment career job was over kind of early on, but what I was doing was I was an independent consultant for a lot of startups, early stage companies. So I did that for a number of years. And then it wasn't until recently that I really devoted all of my time to special spectators, like in the last three or four years, really. So what advice would you give to someone who maybe is in mid-career and is having maybe not as dramatic of an emotion as going through 9-11, but really having a pause and saying, I want more out of my job, more out of my career. I want to make an impact. What advice would you give to them and where would you have them start? So my reply to that's a little bit different than probably most. And, and here's my answer. My answer is to contact me directly at info at specialspectators.org. And the reason why I like to say that is because everyone's story is different. And to kind of give a blanket answer and have it apply to everyone's unique situation, I, I don't want to steer anyone wrong. I, I don't want to steer anyone wrong to begin with, but just <laughs> if anyone's listening, watching, anyone in the audience does want to talk about something like this, I'm happy to do it one-on-one and just reach out to me at info at specialspectators.org. Whatever it is, though, I think the big key thing is to have your lieutenants on board and have people who can help you do it. Because the early stages, it is tough. Your mind, your body has a certain muscle memory that you've had for 20 years of your adult life, and suddenly you want to change that and do something different. And and maybe there are certain talents and skills that you can bring from your previous life to this new life that you want to create. Mm-hmm. But you know, it, whatever it is, I think you've got to have your lieutenants in place who can really help you do it. And there are, unfortunately, you're, you're talking to me. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that go into making special spectators happen. I just happen to be the person who's representing the organization during this interview. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's incredible from, like I said, we have 200 volunteers across the country, but then there's everyone at the children's hospitals who we partner with. There are all the people in the athletic department who we partner with. There are our corporate sponsors and our donors and board members and everyone who is invested in this and doing all that we can to create one of the greatest days in the lives of seriously ill children and their families. And so I just happen to be the lucky person to represent all of these incredible people. But 
there are so many people that make it happen. People don't even see them. Sometimes I don't even see them. Uh, the people who are involved who I aren't even aware that they're involved, but it's all greatly, greatly appreciated. Like I almost called this podcast a fork in the road because um, also a food pun. But um, yeah. the idea was that, you know, it, it, everyone's life has a fork in the road where they could go one way and their life, for whatever reason, takes them another way. And yeah. it's always wonderful to hear stories of people who do have the courage because I mean, let, let's be honest, it could have just been an idea that you sat on for the rest of your life and it would have been a great idea that never happened. But the fact that you went and had the courage to actually do something about it and to create this and to take all the no's and keep going and persevering and the impact that it's had on, on these, you know, so many children and their families is just really remarkable. So thank you so much for joining me and for sharing the story of Special Spectators. How can people find out about you? Where can they go? Yeah, go to specialspectators.org. And like I said, we're a completely volunteer run organization. So we have a lot of needs, whether it be financially, if people want to make a donation, you want to get involved as a volunteer, maybe someone out there you know, their company wants to be a part of this. And we've had some great brands that have been behind us the last several years, folks like General Mills and UPS and Learfield and Riddell and Shelter Insurance and a number of others. So if people want to get their companies involved, it's, it's a great way to do it. Just reach out to specialspectators.org or reach out to me at info at specialspectators.org as well. Thank you so much, Blake. Wow, what an organization. And thanks for the opportunity to share it. Great to meet you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at todinefor with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National, Spiritless, and Terlato Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.